Criminal Behaviorology to assist the criminal and civil justice systems to improve our society a podcast like no other here is your host Timothy Joseph Okay, I think that I'm going to assume that I'm being heard and uh, it's all, uh, everything's good at this point. I'm here to cover the application uh, and dissemination of ABA into the criminal and civil justice systems. And uh, perhaps it has been said that uh, crime does not pay and one of the questions I get when I've been pursuing this uh, area is from a lot of people, a lot of people pursuing their BCBAs or uh, looking at supervision, is they, they want to know how they can make this into uh, a career. And I, I am gonna, I am eventually going to talk about that a little bit, but I'm going to go over kind of where I've, I've come in examining this area and then perhaps get some... Uh, uh, get some feedback uh, ultimately about where we want to go from here in the dissemination of ABA to the criminal and civil justice systems. I've termed it criminal behaviorology, and that term I, I know is uh, it's it's made to be general because I'm looking at any area that is where the study of crime and delinquency can be viewed from a behavioral perspective. In general, I can I can go ahead and tell you that I've pursued the uh, Crime Delinquency and Forensic Behavior Analysis Special Interest Group that's been, a, actually it's been an interest group that's been around for a while. It's done a lot for, uh, it's examined areas of, uh, for juvenile justice and uh, some of our members have testified. We've also interacted some with the uh, uh, Veterans and Military Affairs uh, Special Interest Group. In addition to that, I've worked on a podcast that I started uh, in 2018 called Criminal Behaviorology. Once again, it was to disseminate the ideas out there, and I've had several good guests on there, which I, I may get a chance to speak about here in just uh, a little bit. Also, the, the uh, information that it can be found in, in uh, print, in journal articles that already exists that has been, uh, it's actually quite uh, significant. And then the pursuit of criminal behaviorology or crime delinquency and forensic behavior analysis into, uh, into the mainstream, as we would say, that it would be uh, viewed just as commonly or it would be just as useful as it is for the populations of developmental disability or on the autism spectrum disorder or organization behavioral management and so forth. Okay, here is uh, then the uh, information for the special interest group, which we'll have a poster uh, up later on today, and we'll have our business meeting. We have a, 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 a Yahoo listserv and our own uh, website. It's to ensure that the criminal justice fields have access to appropriate evidence-based, behavior analytic, therapeutic resources to reduce crime and delinquency. Now, this is a... Uh, poster that I put up in, uh, in 2017, and the purpose of this was I went through the Journal of Applied Behavior Analysis, and it started from 1995 
to 2017 and just added up the number of articles uh, each year in JABA that uh, included the areas of behavior analysis and uh, crime and delinquency. So I, I defined that as, as any kind of felony or misdemeanor or any area about crime prevention or rehabilitation or management and corrections or policing or probation and parole. And so I'm going to, I'll have a little bit, in a second here, I'll have a little bit bigger slide to show you that, uh, that graph. But that's what I assembled from, from Java from 1995 to 2017. For this one, you can kind of see the total number. It appears to look quite sporadic. In 1995, there was a special on social issues in Java, so that maybe have boosted our numbers a little bit. I think 2014 was uh, they had some special uh, articles on substance abuse, and so that dovetailed back into uh, crime and delinquency. So that maybe boosted the the number right there. Otherwise, you know, it, it it can look a little bit dry, even though there's a lot of information out there about crime and behavior analysis. So. That was what I found, and it was in part to, to say that there was some literature already out there, which there is quite a bit more beyond JABA, but that's kind of where it might be seen mainstream as far as articles on crime and delinquency. Now, this is what I found when you, when you survey some of these articles, and, and this is a, a kind of a collection of some of them, it's quite a variety, which is okay, but... We have, uh, in 95, preventing antisocial uh, behavior in schools. You had uh, mayor and uh, security arrangements and punitive measures are at best temporary necessities. They are not the solution. So uh, eliminating, uh, in 1995, was eliminating the battering of women by men, by Myers. I'm going to speak about that here in a little bit in more detail but uh, he looked at the uh, looked at it as you would another severe behavior problem with the physical and verbal aggression described by a three-term contingencies. Prompt delayed contingency procedure for reducing bathroom graffiti. Well, graffiti's uh, vandalism, that's a crime, and that was uh, by Watson in 96. So they, uh, they looked at the reduction of graffiti in uh, three men's... Uh, restrooms using a multiple cross uh, settings design. So this is uh, this may spark some interest that these little minor problems that people they might bring in uh, they might bring in bigger guns as they would say when they could bring in some behavior analysis to reduce the problem and uh, it could uh, shall we say put us on the map and make ourselves useful as we have made ourselves useful in other fields. Further on, assessment of deviant arousal in adult male sex offenders with developmental disabilities. That was uh, um, Reyes et al. in 2006. 2006 participants participated in, in the arousal assessment. I think you've maybe some of you have heard of some of this before, but uh, uh, rather significant in modern times, especially it also connects with the needs of the developmentally disabled. The effectiveness of trial contingency management in a felony pre-adjudication drug court. So for this one, it's a contingency management plan. They found that there were other, there were already things set up in these kind of programs 
similar to this, so they found it to be most effective for the most incorrigible uh, offenders. This is, this is uh, Marlowe in 2008. It was effectively a, a kind of a token system or a contingency management system, gift certificates for compliance uh, at different time intervals. And we, we spoke a little bit about in the importance of safety. Now, this is crime prevention, teaching abduction prevention skills to children with autism. This was in 2010. Now, we, we do a lot of work of, of children and others with, with disabilities, maybe wandering off or, or, you know, some have put alarms and things, all kinds of different kinds of antecedent interventions. And the reason that this is done, of course, is for safety. And um, part of the safety is what could happen could there be an abduction? And from this program, they found that you could actually teach the effective abduction prevention skills. So these kind of methods to just block people from going somewhere, you can do, you can deal with the actual danger more effectively. And uh, it's it's not that you would never have a problem with wandering or that you would never have a problem of the need for supervision. But there's another angle that you could approach of it is is to teach the client ways to protect themselves effectively. So you, you saw what a, a, a variety of things that there were in, in this kind of work. And there's, there's much more actually out there. If you review the literature, so I can bring it up here. This book, Behavioral Approaches to Crime and Delinquency, Morris and Brockman. It was from quite, it was in, in the 1980s, but it's quite a bit of work with the police about also crime prevention, about uh, work uh, management inside of correctional facilities, inside of juvenile facilities. So there's a, a body of literature out there and it continues to grow. And, and there's this one here in this year, uh, ABAI published this January 9th uh, of this year, Confessions Selected by consequences, an operant analysis of false confessions and interrogation techniques. So using some information from verbal behavior, looking at the likelihood of something that is to many people could be considered inexplicable, which is someone confessing to crimes that they didn't commit and uh, how it could actually be a fairly common occurrence. And they also uh, mentioned the article, potential precautions to uh, that would be available to prevent such false confessions. So uh, this could be, in this day and age, it can be very relevant. It could be relevant to uh, defense attorneys, and it's another area that I think uh, could be of great importance. Would you like to see a greater emphasis in our field on all these subjects? I, I think a, a, a routine uh, journal on crime and behavior analysis is is in order or, or to be more well known. Would you like to see even a conference uh, covering particular areas of crime and uh, delinquency and behavior analysis? There's a lot of there's a lot of good that can be done, and there's a lot of information that's already available. So this is what I find from reviewing these articles and and doing these presentations the work from JABA and the other areas, they're usually on the periphery. What I mean by that is the emphasis of the articles are often on on other things. So uh, protection, uh, treatment of those autism disabilities, uh, management of different institutions, 
it, it dovetails and it connects with crime and delinquency almost by accident, but uh, in a meaningful way. I propose a, a concerted effort to focus on crime and delinquency as a distinct field. There's enough of these important and uh, really socially relevant areas to justify it being being reviewed in its own right. I began to put together my own podcast because to disseminate it, it can be effective to have it in in print, in audio, and in video and in person, and so in in webinars and conferences like this. So uh, there's quite a bit of literature that existed exists already in audio. I guess what I named it criminal behaviorology podcast. So it focuses on criminology and behavior analysis as uh, an area of study. So we've covered numerous topics on there, actually. One from a, a young man with on the autism spectrum disorder named Darius McCullum, who uh, illegally operated subway cars and buses in New York City, and all he ever did was take people on uh, their appointed rounds. There's no evidence that he ever uh, harmed anyone or took anyone's money uh, other than to take the fare to put it into the machine and run the subway. But yet he was charged with numerous felonies and was facing a life sentence. And the documentary about that case, I I interviewed the filmmaker. The documentary is uh, called Off the Rails. Uh, it's about Darius McCollum, who's who's right now in a in a psychiatric uh, facility. But it's a very interesting documentary, and I, it makes me wonder how services could have prevented uh, a rather unusual criminal case like this. We also had uh, the use of hostage negotiation and behavior momentum, the use of uh, high probability uh, request sequences uh, in advance of a low probability request the same way you would to, to encourage behavior through behavioral momentum. It was seen in a review of recorded hostage negotiation tapes. That was a, a study done, and I uh, interviewed a young lady that had reviewed that, that particular study. Uh, piracy in behavior analysis. I've, uh, I've also covered uh, the uh, mass shootings because I interviewed uh, Frank Straub uh, around last year at this time. And he'd uh, put together a, uh, a paper, 51 School Attacks Averted. And it was a, a set of principles. Frank Straub is a former uh, police officer, former chief of police, actually, that uh, has a lot of interest in uh, behavior analysis, a lot of education. And uh, he's applied some of these principles. It was a, it was a very good uh, interview. Uh, I feel also uh, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, information on uh, domestic violence. So we've covered a range of topics. It's It's been pretty well received, and I've uh, hoped to add that to the pile of things that we could use to disseminate the field. Okay, the SIG and the podcast have a uh, combined mission of linking uh, the two different fields, behavior analysis and uh Uh, criminal justice criminology in a meaningful way. And I'll speak a little bit more of uh, how that could be meaningful, but also so there's so many people uh, that contact me as part of the special interest group, and one of the main things they ask about is establishing a career, uh, sometimes supervision when they're pursuing their BCBA in in some kind of area of criminal justice or of uh, having an actual career. So in a sense... Crime would pay.
Applicate uh, behavior analysis applied. Uh, we've had the emphasis on autism and intellectual disability, which is important. The need is there for behavior analysis in numerous areas of mental health care, particularly forensic mental health care in the United States. I worked for 13 years in a forensic psychiatric hospital, and I, I became actually that's what got me interested in behavior analysis in the first place. That I, I found. Uh, how uh, uh, much the need, the, a lot of the problems they were having, uh, I felt were from the contingencies that were in place in the very setting we worked. Okay, so I'm going to go over so, something I covered last year, and I've also spoken in, in uh, Pennsylvania and a couple of other areas about um, domestic violence from the viewpoint of behavior analysis. And uh, I also interviewed uh, someone that had on the podcast on this particular topic. And I think this is a good example, is why I bring it to you. It's a good example of where we could have an influence on a, on a fairly routine basis because it's a, it's a problem that's everywhere. And uh, I'm not sure that uh, the behavior analytic viewpoint has become prominent in this, but we can go ahead and take a look at the, at the literature of people that have viewed it from a viewpoint of ABA. Though I thought the domestic violence situation in which we lived was terrible, living in a battered woman shelter was a different kind of horror, this author writes. At least living with my father, we still had contact with relatives. During this 12-week sojourn in the shelter, we only had contact with my maternal grandmother by phone every third Thursday of the month for a 15-minute period of time. Otherwise, there was no contact with other relatives or friends at all. Other new and frightening experiences for us were the daily group therapy sessions where we had to share our experiences with abuse with other battered women who were strangers to us. Since we were not in the shelter as long as others had been, we did not share very much my mom did not wish to share her experiences since these people were strangers. The abuse would not be undone by talking about it, and she did not want to discuss the things uh, of which we were unaware in order to protect us. And this is uh, Shattered Silence, an untold story of domestic violence by Brenna Hall. And there she's uh, speaking really of, a, of a, kind of the aversive conditions of trying to escape a, a battered uh, situation. It's a from the perspective when maybe she's like 12 or 11. And I don't put this on here to diminish the importance of things like battered women's shelters or other kinds of work that are out there, but I, I'm not sure that uh, it's it's widely known that it can that, that there's other aversive conditions even when attempts are made to leave an abusive situation. So violence in the home, a perennial problem. And among the important literature, we talked about Myers, looked at, looked at it like he would, uh, other kinds of severe behavior problems. Bell and Noggle, in 2005, examined the stay-leave decision as it relates to domestic violence. The tendency for uh, victims to return to abusive an environment viewed through a behavior analytic lens. And then Bonham, Stanley, and, Co and Corbin in 2008... And in this one, the, to view domestic violence as operant behavior, clinicians can effectively label domestic violence in each relationship and address the problem rather than attributing it to nebulous and often inappropriate tendencies or psychopathologies 
or different types of typologies, as maybe we've discussed a little bit before, that will instead look at the operant contingencies that are at least known and uh, that may be influential. So Myers had the three-term contingencies, uh, A, B, C, make people do things, antecedent behavior and consequences. Escape and avoidance of abuse can control the behavior uh, of the victim and produce compliance. The batterer may receive positive reinforcement from the home environment, receiving meals, a relationship, and the, and the pretense of being part of a, an established family. And I'd also add the propensity to abuse may benefit the perpetrator because of the distancing from the family and friends who could intervene on the uh, domestic violence problem. In addition, the batterer may not receive consequences or the consequences uh, are too are insufficient to really de- uh, address with the conditions that are already available. The importance of models, uh, Meyer emphasized, they can increase the likelihood and may ultimately produce a set of rules which govern subsequent actions. The low probability of detection in spite of the fact that battering is a crime. And all Myers emphasized all the legal and cultural and economic factors that would uh, may assist batterers to avoid the consequences of committing domestic violence. Okay, he reviewed the categories of interventions, assistance for battered women, legal and judicial interventions, intervention programs for those who commit domestic violence, And the changing of community mores and norms that may be out there that would make domestic violence more acceptable. And uh, included in that would be the apathy of people saying, well, this problem's been around a long time. We just, they don't necessarily understand it. It's not that they don't care, but they may be apathetic to it. Our, uh, they they care, but they may not uh, really have the will or have the, uh, the ability to feel they have anything to do about it. Our profession may not have given this uh, serious social problems the study it would require. And uh, this is significant because uh, social relevance as an applied feature of behavior analysis becomes important here. Myers recognized the problem of measurement as a challenge. One issue that could impede domestic violence, uh, behavior analysis review of domestic violence, is that of measurement. The violent behavior is behind closed doors and could could produce a methodological barrier. However, the use of permanent product is one potential solution, measuring the effects of behavior using a post-facto data, an ex-post-facto data measurement system. This has been done in studying the behavior of vandalism, graffiti, abused and neglected children, and industrial safety, among others. Another means uh, involves uh, accessing the publicly available records. There are domestic violence task forces in police in counties throughout the country. Police calls, the arrests, the charges, the convictions, and the sentencing data. Also, the verbal responses of subjective data. The victim reports of violence and the uh, reports of the effectiveness of domestic violence programs by uh, those that are involved. Now, staying or leaving? Should I stay or should I go? This has become one of the most perplexing problems, and I'll, uh, this is what Bell and Noggle covered. 
expanded on Myers, provides a behaviorally based approach to the stay or leave decision. And often this is something the public, the police, they become very, uh, they become very mystified by. Oh, I risked my life to go and protect her, and then she goes back to him. Well, is there a behavior analytic view on this? Careful examination of uh, partner violence in prevention and treatment. And here they have just a set of the different... Uh, the behavioral principle, and then the example. So positive reinforcement, the victim receives praise from friends and family for returning. Negative reinforcement, escapes physical abuse by calling police and leaving home. Punishment, victim punished by uh, leaving by encountering barriers to finding other living arrangements. And extinction, the victim continues to be abused even after separating from the relationship and the response to leave is uh, then extinguished. Also behavioral deficits, uh, rule-governed behavior, of course, kind of like, you know, death to his part, stay till the end, like work, stay and work it out, that sort of thing. Choice in behavioral economics, and delay discounting. All of those are, are potentially relevant. Now, Marilyn Bonham, also authors Stanley Kime and Corbin, they uh, had a survey called the Battering Assessment Tool. Their f- conclusions were that other factors not associated necessarily with antisocial behavior may be important. Lack of responsibility for domestic ab- abuse is not necessarily a standard trait of an abusive man. And in other words, they don't always say, oh, I didn't do that, or it's all her fault. Sometimes, often, they did take responsibility for it. Lack of success in treatment approaches may result in an inaccurate stereotype of who the batterers are. It is possible that successful treatment could focus on understanding the operant contingencies in each case. When I interviewed her, that was in August of last year, so I go by Timothy Joseph on the show, did your results find the batterers had awareness of what was rewarding their abusive behavior? Did they have an understanding of that, or were they kind of disconnected from that? She responded, they were kind of disconnected from that. They were pretty good at identifying the antecedent events. And she goes on and, con- and conditions how they felt beforehand regarding what they felt elicited or evoked behavior, I guess you'd say. And they were kind of disconnected with, oh, now I feel more in control, or now I feel less depressed or less anxious or less frustrated. Now my partner's doing what I want them to be doing. And so, you know, they don't recognize the consequences much the same way, I think, that in other areas where people, for example, uh, they know they eat too much, they know they eat when they're anxious or nervous or they're bored, but they don't pay attention to that immediate relief of that feeling once they do. And so I responded, yeah, it's another kind of indicator. Uh, to me, uh, operant conditioning has to do with violent behavior like this because it's a lot like we'd say we don't tend to think too much about why we do the things we like to do or are very motivated to do. We might think about justifications for it or things we have to say to make it happen, but an awareness of why we are conditioned or why we like to do something, we tend not to be so conscious of that. She said, yes, almost like you take it for granted. So, the reasons why domestic violence 
is important and uh, should be studied in crime and behavior analysis. The prevalence of this social problems mean there's data to be collected in every community with data gathered through many different agencies. The socially significant nature of the problem and the established connection with numerous other social and behavioral problems like other kinds of crimes related to previous abuse. The principles of behavior analysis lend themselves to addressing severe problem behaviors intermittently intermittently reinforced. Domestic violence is one such problem behavior. Crime delinquency and forensic behavior analysis. We have the uh, uh, the crime delinquency and forensic behavior analysis special interest group. We're going to have a business meeting today at seven. Criminal behaviorology podcast can reach a, a, a wide audience. Uh, the areas of interest, juvenile justice, of course, domestic violence, contingency management programs in a variety of settings, safety and crime prevention. Uh, okay, I'm going to go over this slide right here. I've got to change a date on here because this is new information. So it's kind of like, you know, don't read this sign. But uh, here we go. I'm going to, because I get asked so much about uh, careers and uh getting supervision. We are working now on having a webinar on novel applications of applied behavior analysis and included in that would, would be, would be uh, regarding uh, behavior analysis and uh, crime, criminal justice and civil justice systems. So careers, people that are interested in that, I'll be with Kent Corso and uh, we'll uh, talk about uh, how we're going to build it from the the ground up or do our best so i think the date says june something on there it's going to be july 30th so uh you know scratch that scratch that uh uh underneath but it's going to be july 30th and uh we're going to get uh, there may be means through abai or at least contacting the sig you can get the latest update but the date now is july 30th um at 6 p.m we're going to have a webinar to cover those areas so there, uh, I think I've run out of time. Here is uh, the podcast. There is the special interest group information. Um, all the references. And uh, to contact me, you can. Uh, that's my contact, any of those emails and that phone number. That is it for me. I'm sorry if I feel like I've rushed through this, but uh, I think uh, I'm going to go ahead and sign off now. And I really appreciate you and being able to go ahead and and, uh, have these uh, presentations despite everything. This has been Criminal Behaviorology. Check us out on podomatic.com or anchor.fm. Please send questions, comments, and requests for transcripts to criminalbehaviorology at gmail.com.